hello there, it's Pastor Rick from A Voice in the Distance Ministries, welcoming you back to the end of the book of James, chapter 5. We're going to be finishing up the book today. And as I always say at the end of every book that I teach, you know, there's always a sense of bittersweetness. But, you know, again, with time, you know, and schedules, it's been very busy. And uh, I would like to teach more than I do. And may God open the doors to uh, uh, to allow that. But you know what? Again, God is good all the time. And I always enjoy coming to the end because you know it's it's like if you've ever noticed in the Bible that they say that the uh, we like to say that the we save the best for last. At, at the end of a message, you know, they really exhort. It really comes down to so much there at the very end when you think about it. Because when you know that you are running out of ink and paper, and when you are pouring your heart out on that ink and paper, you better pay attention to what's being said on there. And so, as we look at this, you know, the book of James was based on on the practical life of the Christian life. There wasn't very deep theological aspects. It was more on the practicality of Christian living. And the reason being was because, and you could go to the very first chapter to recap it, but again, if you're listening to, the, uh, to this message for the first time, you know, the book of James was, was addressed to an established Christian church. So he was already talking to people who knew what they should be doing, knew where they should be walking and how they should be walking. And so that's, that's what he was addressing here. But, you know, sometimes we go astray, we get a little lost, and, and we lose touch, we lose faith, we lose sight. And, and so that's what James is really trying to keep the established church from doing because it, it happens. We lose all of those things. And so God help us. God help us because there are many things in this world that, that cause us to go astray. And, and, and there's people out there that, that like to refute certain things. You know, they, they have a vice or they have a, a certain something in their life that they like. And James addresses those particular things. And when you hear people refute those things or they try to dance around those things well now what we call apostasy is in the air apostasy is a form of rebellion and so we're going to look at this here we're going to look at some we're going to look at the whole chapter we're going to go in deep here and so i'm excited because again the end of every book is a powerful book and, and a powerful word james chapter five and we're going to be looking at first at verses one through six if you have a bible with you Follow along. If not, I'm going to read it to you. It says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire, for you have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day, a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just, and he does not resist you. Wow. You know, James here at the end of a book, you know, you'd think he'd be lightening up, but he doesn't. And, and for good reason. Come now, you rich. You know, he says here, you know, weep and howl. Why? You know, most people think to themselves, I'm not going to be doing that if I'm rich. Well, James is telling the rich to do that because of how they got there and what they've become. 
don't get me wrong. There, there is nothing wrong with having money. You've, you've heard me say it before. You will continue to hear me say it. There's nothing wrong with having money. But when, when the money has you, that's the problem. That's what our Lord and Savior was, was teaching us in the dangers of wealth and what it could do to somebody. And so if God, you know, there's lots of wealthy Christians, and, and they're wealthy because God has allowed them to be. And there's, there's wealthy Christians that had everything taken from them because God allowed that too for whatever reason. You know, he, he, he protects us from future disaster, which is what these things can uh, take part in in our lives, in, in the form of future disaster. You know, the, James here, he's proclaiming the, the, the worthlessness of riches. You know, I mean, we Jesus said, you know, gold gold means nothing in heaven. The streets are paved in it. It's it, it's asphalt. It's it's worthless up there. Which which should say something. And, and so you're going to be walking on that stuff one day if you're saved. Can you imagine that? But while you're here on earth, James is speaking to a group of people in the form of a in the form of a warning. For the rich that have that have cut the throats or have harmed people in order to to continue in their riches, to that, that have continued to to harm others in order to keep what they have or to grow what they have. But he's saying here, your 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 garments, your clothes are going to be moth eaten. Everything's going to be taken from you. The people that you have the people that you have defrauded, the people the people that you have hurt and kept from. Who worked hard for me for you are calling out against you to a mighty God who sees and hears all things. And so God hears the cries of all those people. You know, if you've really if you have really done an extensive study of the Word of God of the Bible, God really has a, a, a place in his heart for the poor. He really does. They have nothing else to worry about. Right, the, the poorest of people and, and and Christians in the poorest of nations, they don't have to they don't have to worry about anything except for serving the Lord. When you have so much, you're staying up at night trying to figure out how you're going to keep it or make more of it. You know, but but again, you know, the difference between the rich and and the Christians who uh, who are provided for is is that you know the rich from a worldly standpoint are worried about stashing their barns full of bread and whatever else have you, but that bread eventually could get moldy. You know, but but you see, when your father is the is the Lord, when your father is, is God, the creator and the provider of all things, he owns the bakery with the bread line that comes in daily versus storing it somewhere to be to be hardened and moldy. So that that's the difference here that we need to keep track of. Knowing who it is that, that that provides for us. Knowing who truly owns what it is that we've been given. Our money is his. Our, our, our house is his. And, and innocent men and women were defenseless. You know, especially the poor laborers. Poor people who, who, could, who, who could not pay, the, you know, their debts. They were thrown into prison. They were forced to sell their possessions. At times they were even forced to utilize their own uh, children into slavery. 
And the people, the people took it without a care. These are dangerous grounds. This isn't something to be ignored. This isn't something to be messed with. Listen to what he says in verse 7 to 8. He says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. You know, James uses the example of a farmer. See, when you farm something and grow something, you can't rush a process. There's not, there's not much you can do to it. Because the farmer must must wait patiently for the crops. And so, th- there's much work to do. Right? There's always much work to do to make sure that that harvest is full. And, and in the same way, we, we patiently wait for Christ, right? And we're, we're waiting for his return. But while we're here, we're doing everything we can while we're waiting for his return or maybe our, when our time comes. There's much work to be done in advance. You know, in God's kingdom, it's limitless. The, the, farmer, the, the farmer and the Christian, if you think about it, must live by faith. <laughs> you know, the farmer uh, does the tilling of the soil and, the, and, and, and the, the work that must be done for the crops to be produced that feeds the world. But it's God who basically causes it to grow and created it from the get-go. So we, we have to be looking forward to the future. You know, and we want to make sure that, that that we're not living as if Christ will never come. That's what he's saying. The day of the Lord, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And that, and that is a very serious situation when that happens. If you've ever read the book of Revelation, so it's a very uh, a very serious thing when, when the day of the Lord comes. And so we don't know when that day is. That's the thing. So we're called to live by his standard from a daily basis. If we knew, if we knew when, when he was coming, we'd be waiting till the last minute. Let's, let's not lie to ourselves, right? We'd be waiting till the last minute to do the right thing. Do the right thing now, he's saying. God's patient, you know, and, and, and he's much more patient than we'll ever be. You know, he's telling us to be patient. You know, God waits for a long time. The Bible says that God is long-suffering, but there does come a time where he says time's up. But God's, wor- God's working. He's, he's working while, while the waiting is happening. And, and so God's, God's on the throne, and we're down here. And, and so it's good for us to be doing God's work while we're here because we have a legacy we have a legacy to, to, that we're going to leave behind. We have a legacy we're going to bring with us to heaven. And so we want to make sure that we're doing right by him. And by doing right by him, we're doing right by others as well. You know, James made it known right here, the things to be careful of. Because he also says in ten eleven, he says, you know, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. You know, the book of Job was such a, was such a uh, powerful book on, on restoration and faith and perseverance. You know, Job had, was a very wealthy, well-to-do man in his day, very righteous in the eyes of the Lord, but, but he was allowed a suffering, um, a suffering trial. 
he had everything taken from him. Satan was allowed to, to mess with him, to take things from him. He wasn't allowed to hurt him or touch his life or, or to take his life, but he was, he was able to do a lot of damage. Job stayed the course. And all the prophets that he's mentioning here, too, we have what we call a, um, you know, like a, a hall of faith in the book of Hebrews. It speaks of a lot of the people, but all these prophets as well went through so much. But he used Job as, as the main example here because of the things that, that happened. Most, most people would have thrown in the towel and said, I don't want to serve a God that took all this from me. But Job said, it don't matter. I'm not going to stop loving him. I'm not going to stop serving him because he knew at the very end where he was going. The Lord's compassion. The Lord's compassion is beyond anyone's. You know, when things go wrong, we grumble. We, 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 we blame others, uh, you know, for our miseries at time. And blaming others is easier than, than owning our own share of, of the responsibility or our mistakes. But it's destructive and sinful. You know, before we start to judge others of, of, their, short, of their shortcomings, remember that Christ is the judge. He's the one who evaluates. He's the one who... He's the one who shows what's right and wrong. And many prophets, they, they suffered. Job suffered. The prophets suffered. Moses suffered. Elijah, Jeremiah suffered. You know, they all did. They didn't like it. The, the, the people, the masses, didn't like what they were hearing from him, from these guys, which was the blatant truth. So there will be times, and there will be, there will be prices to pay for, for doing right and for saying right. But where do you stand is where, is where the question is. Are you going to do what's right? Am I going to do what's right? Are we going to say what's right? That's what it comes down to. You know, this world of ours is really becoming a place of, of, of rapid change and not for the better. I have people that, that, I, I have people that have been asking me questions that don't really know God or, or, or never even cared about God are, are now asking me questions about things with concern. Now they're starting to believe because it's come to that point in life to where they're seeing the, the, the forces of evil at hand. And, and that's good because they have a problem with it. And that's a good thing. If you have a problem with it, you are in a good place. You are in a good place because that means that you you are looking at the things of good, the things of God. If you have a problem with the things that you're hearing, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're not following the Lord. Maybe you don't walk with the Lord, but yet you read this and you think to yourself that, that I would never do that. Good. You're, you're walking in his path. You're on the right track. But there's more to it than that, and that's what we're going to. That's what we'll get to in the end. But I want you to continue to follow, because sometimes you know we 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 bring a shovel with us to dig for something. But in this case, I, I'm requiring a backhoe, an excavator. <laughs> I want to bring in some machinery because now it's time to start digging a little deeper. In verse 12, it says, "But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth." Or by or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. A really simple thing, you know, a really simple thing. Just be a man or woman of your word. 
No, nobody really likes a, a fickle person who says one thing and does another. And I think we're all guilty of that. We've all been guilty of that. But, you know, God says it very plain and simple. Yeah, you let your yes be yes and your no be no. Because, you know, a person with these reputations for exaggeration or lying, they, they'll never get anybody to believe them eventually. You know, on his word alone. Christians should never become like that because, you know, honest, honesty is the best policies they've always said. And it's true because that's biblical. You know, half-truths, <laughs> omissions of the truth, uh, you know, again, these are things that, that uh, works of Satan. Satan could quote the Bible probably better than most people. But his power is, is the form of half-truth that he gives people, which causes others to believe in things. So let your yes be yes and your no be no. You know, we don't want to fall into that judgment. Because it's not just in the judgment of the people, it's more so in the judgment of God. In this case, this is a very serious situation because by being one of these people that James is mentioning, you're, you're, on, the, you're on the dark side of both man and God. I mean, even the heathens, even there's some honest heathens out there, they won't want anything to do with somebody like that, and yet God would never appreciate it. So we're really in a bad place by not letting our yes be yes and our no be no. And so again, follow closely. Follow closely to these things. I'm just giving it to you as simple as possible. Because again, James wrote it very clear, very, very, very plain, very blunt. Because you got to remember, when something was written to somebody, it was written for a reason. He didn't just figure to himself, like, oh, you know, I'm just, this is on my mind and heart, so I'm just going to put it on paper. No, there was issues. The, things were written because there was issues somewhere that needed to be addressed. So that's what James was doing here. There must have been much of these things going on. The rich were oppressing people, and, and people were not being real with one another. And we see it today. Nothing new under the sun. Verse 13 to 14 says, If anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. One of my favorite verses. You know, I got two favorite verses in the book of James. And the first one you've heard me say, if you've listened in the beginning, was one James one twenty two: Be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. But the other one was this one here, that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I, I have some mighty prayer warriors that I am a part of. I'm a part of people that I look at as better than myself. And trust me, I'll say uh, that I, I gladly go to them in prayer and ask them for prayer as well. You know, it's an honor to be an elder in the church. I've been an elder for years, and and for for somebody to uh, for somebody to have called upon me to pray over them and anoint them with oil was one of my greatest uh, privileges. It was a great privilege to do that. But you know, the 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 oil was the representation of the Holy Spirit. The oil doesn't heal. 
the people. It's the representation and the faith that heals. It's the prayer in itself. The oil was the representation. But that's what we're called to do. Go to the elders. Go to the leaders of the church. Ask for prayer. You pray. Ask them for prayer. Everybody praying together. Because where two or more are gathered, Jesus said, I am in your presence. Where two or more are gathered. And so, oil again was a precious thing. It was used for anointing. It was used for uh, for anointing kings. And it was used for anointing priests. But it was also used for also for medical purposes as well. You know, they, they would use it for wounds. They would use it for um, miscellaneous other things as well. That it actually that it actually helped with the process of, of helping with certain ailments on the body. So that's what the Lord gave us in in the example of such. It's medicinal, but it's spiritual. God is the physician. Right, God is the true physician. We just get a we just get to be a part of of asking on your behalf, right? To, to ask on your behalf. If any of you are prayer, or sick, go to the elders, right? And the Lord will raise them up. Look for look for those who are righteous. Learn from them. Now, righteousness comes from faith. But but look at those from the past. Look at those that the word of God speaks of. The prayers of a righteous man avail of much. You know, I'll, I'll even be honest. You know, God, God loves children so much too. And in my form of leadership, I, I never had any qualms about asking a child to pray for me. I think it's good training. I, I think it's good training for the kids. For these kids to to be trained up in prayer. To, for these kids to be trained up in having a heart for other people. But on the same note, I've also come to a conclusion that, you know, God really loves to hear prayers from children too. From little ones. You know, people say, you know, hey, Pastor Rick, how'd you make it in life? And I said, oh, I think it's quite simple that God has a special place in his heart for babies and fools. And that's why I'm still here. But, you know, I, I've learned that, again, train them up. You know, have a child pray for you. It's a good thing. And I'd like to think that if a child has a heart to pray for you, the Lord's going to hear them. But there's many, again, many righteous people, many great people out there that, that we, need to, we need to check with and we need to be a part of. And, and, and for us to, to confess to one another, for those that we trust, we're going to keep it between you and God. That is the, the effective, fervent prayer of the righteous. And may we be that. It avails much, as said. Check out 17 and 18. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Elijah, one of the most righteous of prophets out there. God listened to his prayers. Oh, were they mad at him. <laughs> three and a half years with no rain. Can you imagine what that could do to a nation? We have droughts as it is. Imagine three and a half years. But yet God provided for him. And yet God took care of him.
But when it was time, when that three and a half years came about, and, it, and it, Elijah's request, God allowed a major rain to come. You know, I love it when King David says that, how he speaks about how God inclined his ear to him when he prayed. You know, God's hearing is better than any man's. He could hear all things at once. But when God inclines his ear to you, that's special. You know, I, I'd like to think of it that, that yeah, God, God could hear everyone. But it seems to me like, like anyone else, he, uh, those who are closest to him could be heard best. So God, God help us to be closer to him. Help, you, help one another. Help the sick. Help the poor. Be diligent in, in faith. Be diligent in love. Be diligent in prayer. You know, we, we are seeing things change so drastically. And we need help from our Lord. 19 and 20, check it out. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and, and, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. That's what this is about. That's what he ends it on. His last words. When you read the whole book in five chapters, not a big book, but a lot said in a small batch. It's what it comes down to. It started out with issues. Many different issues. People with problems. People with certain things. But if you wander from the truth. And someone turns them back. Your soul will be saved. Where are you at right now? Where are you at right now? Lost? Were you there at one point? Did something happen that, that, that caused you to say, I, I'm done? Well, let me tell you something. You're still here. And you can be a mighty instrument. You could be an instrument that, 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 uh, the, in the form of a trumpet. You could be in the, form of a, in the form of a pleasant harp. But an instrument nonetheless. An instrument to get someone's attention. That's what it comes down to. Nothing else matters in the very end. Speak to somebody in their last days. And ask them what they think of what, of what life should have been like. Or what they would have done differently. We all have a last day on earth, just like we do a birthday. But where we go is the story, is the story that, that people want to know. And, and, you're, and you being the instrument can tell that story. You being the instrument can, can help others be in that same place. I have heard amazing testimonies. God does exist. God loves you. God wants you. But don't be stubborn. 
don't be stubborn with God. You don't have to be. He doesn't force anybody. You know, He wants you. He's been waiting for you. And that's what it really came down here at the very end of James. If you've wandered from the truth, you know, turning back's not a bad thing. It's the best decision you can make. If you've never even been there, you want to be there, you have the opportunity. If you've gone astray, and you're still alive, and you're, you're in a place wondering why or how, you have, a, you have the opportunity. We serve a God of opportunity. We serve a God of invitation. We serve a God of love. We serve a God of wrath. We serve a God of just. <laughs> He's a God of holiness is what he really is. Everything all wrapped into one. I believe it was Elijah that said, you are holy, holy, holy. He said it three times. And when you say something three times, that's pretty serious in the Word of God. He didn't say, God, you are love, 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 though we know he is. He never said, God, you are wrath, 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 although we know he can be when, when provoked. He never said, your God, you are mercy, 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 although we know he is. Thank God for, for our, our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. He said, you are holy, holy, holy. Which means he is perfect in all of those aspects that I just named off. So I want to give you the opportunity. Maybe you've never had maybe you've never had the Lord. Maybe you've gone astray. Well, your soul can be saved. Your life can be saved. Who knows what God's going to do with and for you. But you've got to receive him in order for that to happen. You've got to say, I want him as my father. I want him as my Lord. I want him as my Savior. And remember what you, remember what you heard. Remember what you read. I could teach this book over and over and something new will come. But I wanted to give as much of the basics as possible. That this is what it comes down to. Time is precious and time is of the essence. So I ask you now, if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to repeat this prayer after me and say it in your heart with truth. And he will come into your heart, and he will live in you, and you will be saved. You will have a place with him when your time is up. So repeat after me. If God has led you, dear God, please forgive me. Forgive me of all of my sins. As I confess to you that I am a sinner. Cleanse me now, Lord. Wash me, Lord, of all of my sins. I thank you for dying on the cross and saving me for my sins. I ask, Lord, that you would enter my heart now. As I am now a child of yours and you are my father. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. And I want to live and walk with you all of my days. And I pray you receive me when my time comes, Lord. As I am now of you. A child of yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Well, I pray that you would uh, follow along where we're going to be going next. Again, it's it's the goal to teach the whole Bible from beginning to end, word by word, verse by verse, book by book. So I invite you to follow along just to see where we're going to end up next. I like to cover all bases, so I appreciate you listening. I pray more than anything that you have received him as your Lord and Savior, and if you're walking with him, continue to do so, being fed, being in service, being in prayer. And may you just do just a mighty work in his name. May God bless you and your family. Much love to you. God bless you.